crew members and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show we will be discussing season two, episode 16, Future Tense. Yep. It has a title a lot like a bunch of other titles. Yeah, we discussed that before. There is a past tense, which is a DS9 episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a future perfect. It is a future imperfect. Future imperfect, yes. I believe there's also something, maybe an episode title about what's past is prologue. Past is prologue. That sounds familiar. Which is also just a Shakespeare line. I think that's a, uh, is that a discovery title? That sounds like a Discovery title. It sounds like either a Discovery title or a DS9 title. Yeah, I think it's a Discovery title. Yeah, that would make sense. But we'll look it up afterwards and maybe we'll bring it up next episode. Okay, sounds good. Ooh, ooh. Yes? While we are talking about things that we... I don't know, I don't have a good transition for this. Um, (laughs) We're on Amazon Podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because we, we hadn't been before, and you now we are. You can listen to us on Amazon now. For some reason, you feel like switching from whatever you're currently. Does that mean that Alexa will play us now? Uh, I believe so. Oh, snazzy. Maybe after this, we can go give it a shot. We can. Wouldn't be, uh, that like, be fun? Alexa, play the Star Trek podcast that is by two people who care about each other very much and are not named Garrett Wong or... <laughs> Robert Duncan McNeil. Indeed. <laughs> I guess we can try that. Uh, or maybe you... we should be more specific. Probably. What do you think of this episode? It was not bad. That was kind of my feeling on it. Like, it had some good stuff in it. It had a lot of potential. I felt like it was one of those episodes that that didn't have the payoff that I was hoping for. Yet... It was fine, was kind of my takeaway from the whole thing. It was an entertaining watch. I'm probably not going to remember it in a few days. Yeah, and the thing about it is that I think that's all right. Yeah. I'm not positive, but I think that that it's not... It 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 feels kind of like a, hey, remember that temporal Cold War? We don't want you to forget it. So we're going to put an episode here where we remind you about it and... Like, there's no consequences. So because I've been metagaming a little, I know that at some point they are kind of going to abandon the Temporal Cold War for a different big arc. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, did you not know this? Well, I knew that there was a big arc that started in se- at the beginning of Season 3. So they might not totally I... abandon it. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that at the very least it takes a major, major backseat to everything else that's going on. Okay. Um... And I think that episodes like this one kind of bode in favor of that decision. Because for being the big series arc, it's one of the less engaging parts of the series right now. Is this the big series arc or is the uh, Vulcan-Andorian conflict that's going to lead to this founding of the Federation? They're probably kind of both, but like they've definitely been... I guess this is the one that was... Like, like the, the two-parter the the two between seasons was all about the Temporal Cold War. Mm, fair, yeah. And the pilot yeah. was focused on it. And yeah, it's... and the Sulaban are one of the races that they've been running into over and over again. And the Sulaban are all about the Temporal Cold War. So, like, this is clearly at least a, a major arc for the show yeah. right now. 
but I don't think it's been a tremendously successful one so far. I feel like if they, uh, I think they they may be suffering from the delusion that they're going to have seven seasons to do this arc in, oh. and they're trying to make it go so slow. Poor fellas. Um, like you really gotta you, you like it wasn't. But also, if you're gonna mm-hmm. do that, like, why is J. Michael Straczynski the only science fiction writer who understands this? If you're gonna do that, you have to plan it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other other writers do plan things out. Um, they do, but like... But a lot of them are not doing primetime sci-fi. Yes. Yeah, I'm more concerned with, like, sci-fi writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can think of some of the, the best, most well-planned-out shows. Uh, I mean, Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Steven Universe. And my understanding is that the writers of those shows planned everything oh, yeah. from the beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a pattern here. When you plan, your arc goes well. Mm-hmm. When you throw planning to the winds and do it Berman and Braga style, your arc, best case scenario, goes okay. And I think that's pretty much what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I still would blame Ronald D. Moore more than anything. You can't blame him for Enterprise. No, I can't blame him for Enterprise, but he he did a lot of the stuff on DS9. and uh... DS9's long arc was more successful than it deserved to be, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. Like it definitely had some, uh, it definitely had some holes in it, but uh, it was also one of the most generally affecting parts of any Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll give him some credit for that. Yeah, no, I, I think that his success on DS Nine was what gave him the, I don't know, hubris mm-hmm. that that led to Battlestar. The Galactica. thing about DS Nine was that it was a good show outside of its lengthy arc, like the arc was important, but it didn't matter to the structural foundation of the show, which is also true about the temporal Cold War arc and Enterprise, and that's why I'm kind of willing to just sort of let it mm-hmm. slide through okay, because mm-hmm. I know it doesn't matter all that much. Do you, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, going back to the initial question, yeah, the episode was fine. It was entertaining to watch. Um, I think it would have been better if something had like, come of it all. Mm-hmm. Like, there's definitely something to be said for having something be a mystery. Well, we'll probably talk about this more in the pluses and minuses. Probably. Should I tell them what it's about first? You can. Okay. To the extent that I can. Oh, no. I turned a page. Everybody's going to hear me turning a page. Well, you're the one who has to lean away from the microphone. I do. It's true. All right. So this was Future Tense. Once again, Enterprise manages to make time travel... Very mildly interesting. The NX-01 discovers a giant trash can floating in space, but instead of the home of the garbage pail kids, it turns out to be the TARDIS. It also contains a body that at first glance appears to be human, but turns out to be Dr. Phlox's dreams of copious interspecies mating come true. (laughs) Anyway, point is they have to... What did I write here? Yes, they have this very futuristic trash can in their hull, but it turns out that both the Suliban and, for some strange reason, the Tholians are after it. 
This leads us to a race against time to deliver the trash can to the Vulcan High Command before the Tholians do their ship-imprisoning etch-a-sketch thing that they aren't doing in this episode for some reason. And in the meantime, T'Pol must once again confront evidence that the Vulcan science database might be wrong about time travel. Oh no. Will the ship escape the Sulaban tholian shootout? Will the encounter provide definitive evidence of cross-temporal journeys? Did we ever resolve what that blue stuff was on the garbage can's manhole? Because my vote is either Andorian blood or Jello. The star of the show, Porthos, better get some good snuggles after all the ship-shaking and noise he had to endure all by himself. Oh. That must have been so scary. Yeah. Porthos. Aww. He better get some treats that night. Yeah. Maybe get a thunder shirt. Yeah. He probably has one. I would hope so. Whatever the 24th century version of a thunder shirt is. It's true. They've probably got, like, thunder holograms or something. No. Wait, uh, wait well, 22nd no. century version Yeah, they're of it. not yeah, advanced sorry. enough for that, but... Just a thunder shirt. Yeah, probably at least has a blanket to snuggle under. Oh, what a good boy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I guess I owe you trivia now. You sure do. What's my trivia? So I'm I... I'm really uh, anticipating this. I, I definitely burnt myself out last episode. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And, and then Last episode was like three weeks ago. I, I spent a lot of time researching the trivia, and then I spent a lot of time editing the episode afterwards. Yes. And, you know, things are busy anyway. Uh-huh. But, uh, so I just went easier on this. That's fine. So Reed is interested in going back in time to 1788. 1588. 1588, yes. I'm good at this. Uh-huh. This is why I'm a professional podcaster. Yes. Raking in the big bucks. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, that's when the Spanish <laughs> Armada happened. Yes. So do you know why the Spanish Armada happened? There was some kind of naval standoff between England and Spain, and I think it may have involved some tutors, but that's kind of the part of history and the part of the world where I don't know anything anymore. That's fair. Yeah, um, so... Like, my knowledge of things stops in about 1550 for most places. Okay. So, uh, Spain was actually planning to invade England. They were sending the Armada to the Netherlands. Um, that makes sense. Where they were going to pick up some, I believe, uh, Flemish soldiers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And uh, then go over to London and take over their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it obviously did not go very well. Um... It's kind of like uh, one of England's huge victories, and it was it turned into some pretty big... I was big... going to say, the Dutch and the Flemish broke free of Spain not too long after that. Hmm. Because they'd been under Spanish rule for a little while then. Yeah. That that checks out with what I read on Wikipedia this, uh, this evening. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know this stuff very well. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not too long after my period. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, there were a couple problems. Um, one, you know, it actually, it was a huge armada. There were, I think, 130 ships or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and like tens of thousands of people on them. But, uh, their command structure wasn't great. It was actually under command by an aristocrat, not a, uh, like, naval expert. Mm-hmm. Um, the British actually had a really good naval strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so prior to this, the dominant form of naval warfare was 
ran your boat into the other one and jump on to their ship and then take over it. So similar to how Star Trek aliens board ships in uh, the future. Well, yes, but they also do a lot of phasers and photon torpedoes. Yes. Which is the big change at the uh, Spanish Armada. Ooh, is there shooting? Yeah. So um, rather than being cool and boarding other ships, the British decided they were going to be smart. And <laughs> they had smaller vessels that were faster. And uh, they put a lot of cannons on them. Ooh, and, and that's why Malcolm Reed wants to see this, because Malcolm Reed likes shooting things. He does. He wants to go back to the beginning of shooting things. Like, this wasn't the first time that cannons were used in naval warfare. Yeah, but... But, like, this was when they proved that they were the thing to do, because the British ships were able to just stay out of range of the Spanish ones and just shoot lots of holes into them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah... Cool. And so that, combined with weather, combined with, you know, various other things, um, most of the, yeah, the, it was a total failure for the Spanish. Um, yeah. A lot of people died. Was there anyone named Reed there? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, probably. Maybe not. Maybe. As likely as not. Yeah, as likely as not. Um, you know, the English fleet was a lot smaller, mm -hmm. um, but... You know, they had a better strategy, um, and the Spanish didn't have much they could do against it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people died from the sinkings, and a lot of people died from disease, because that's just kind of how warfare went. Yeah, it's, in those days. it's nasty. Yeah. This is a total tangent, but do you know who's kind of credited with founding the British Royal Navy? I do not. Getting it started? King John. King John. Like... Like Prince John from Robin Hood? Yes, I don't know why Robin Hood calls him Prince John, because he was a king. But uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, king no, because King Richard was the king. That's yeah, why but... they call him Prince John and Robin Hood. Yes, that's true. But uh, yeah, John was like a brilliant lawyer and kind of an amazing military tactician. He was just a really, really, really bad king. Hmm. Okay. Interesting fact. Indeed. That had nothing to do with Star Trek, though. Yeah. It's just a historical English tidbit that I find interesting. And I'm sure that uh, Malcolm Reed would find it interesting, too. Maybe he's descended. From King John. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, I think that does it for the... I think uh, Malcolm Reed would be a pretty awful king if you put him in charge of things. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he wouldn't want to be king. No, he wouldn't. He just uh, wants to shoot things. Yep. So anyway, there's your, uh, there's cool. your trivia. Okay. Yeah. I don't know whether they were thinking that when they wrote that line, but it, uh, it ends up working out pretty well. I mean, I, I suspect so. Like, he's, he's a very big on the, uh, the British stuff. Mm-hmm. And that really, it was one of the, like, not only was it a, an actual military victory, but, like, it was a propaganda, like, bonanza. Mm-hmm. Like, it, Elizabeth I had just like this huge like wave of, oh yeah. That's why I thought it had something to do with Tudors because it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was the sort of thing you can uh, uh, bust out when it's time for re-election. Mm -hmm. As queen. As queen, yeah. And she Makes kept sense. getting re-elected all the way through the rest of her life. <sighs> Good for her. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, the episode. The episode. 
Shall we talk about pluses and minuses? Or? I guess, because like, I don't have that much to say about it that we haven't already covered and that isn't on my list. Mm-hmm. So we can do that. Yeah. Um, though, my first plus... Mm-hmm. So I've mentioned that I'm not generally that big a fan of time travel stories. Mm-hmm. Like, I find most of them kind of goofy and not as exciting as their premises make them out to be. That said, I really kind of dug the little time loop scenes in this okay. episode. Well, I liked the the Tucker and Reed ones better than the Archer and Reed ones, because at that point I was like, really? Y'all just did this. Like, mm-hmm. find a different way to do it. But uh, I thought that uh, the small-scale time travel time loop thing was, one, really well put together, and two, actually much more compelling than most of the bigger stuff they tried to do with time travel. So, I mean, I, I remember there was a, a TNG episode that was basically this little mini time loop thing, except an entire episode. Yeah, and that's the thing. I like it best when they keep it small scale, I think. Okay. Because it didn't take up the entire episode. It was just two characters that were repeating a conversation. It helped that it was a fun conversation. It helped that it was a fun conversation. And also, when they brought it back later on in the episode, it kind of almost had some stakes, which I appreciated. It turned out that it didn't have any stakes, (laughs) but they made it look like it was going to have stakes. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You're right. It, it actually ended up having no effect on anything whatsoever. None whatsoever, which disappointed me a great deal. Hmm. Yeah. The. But this is pluses. Yes, this is pluses. So um, yeah, those time loop scenes, they were cute. I mm-hmm. liked them. Yeah, and I, I really did like that conversation they were having about... You know, actually, I'm going to step back. Uh, so when when uh, Trip first started saying he didn't want to go into the future, mm-hmm. I was like, really... Really, you're going to be, like, contrarian? Like, no, everyone wants to go see the future. But then he actually made a darn good argument about it. He did. I liked that entire conversation between the two of them. Yeah. No, like, that that argument about, like, you know, doing things because you feel they're right versus because you think you're predestined to. Like, Mm -hmm. that was really, really well put together and compelling. It was. And it's, like, all the times in the various shows that... Uh, a prophecy has come up and suddenly everybody starts acting exactly as they need to to fulfill the prophecy Mm -hmm. it's like what if y'all had never heard that prophecy you wouldn't be acting like this you're letting the prophecy control your lives and it seemed like a version of that argument Mm -hmm. yeah and also he's a big dinosaur fan apparently which i i get yeah no i get it too who hasn't gone through a dinosaur phase it's true dinosaurs are cool they are there's something Malcolm Reed never went through a dinosaur phase. <laughs> that, of course he didn't. Yeah, no, he... Because the dinosaurs weren't English. <laughs> they weren't English and they aren't made of pineapple, so Malcolm Reed doesn't care. <laughs> and they don't shoot things. Yeah, though they eat things, I mm-hmm. guess. I think like little kids go through dinosaur phases because they love the idea of creatures that are much bigger than their parents. Oh, is that why? That's one of my theories, anyway. Okay, okay. I like the theory. But yeah, that was an entire good conversation and the sort of thing that I really like it when Star Trek does, when they just let the characters be the characters for a couple minutes. It's great. They need more of that. Mm Mm-hmm. You got that, Kurtzman? I was going to say, take notes, Kurtzman and company. Yeah. We Also, uh... take notes, Berman and Braga. More of that, please. (laughs) But I'm talking to you from the future. 
You're, so you're doing your own time travel ploy I'm right doing now. my own time travel ploy through this podcast. This is a time traveling podcast. I hope so. I hope so too, because it means we'll get better episodes in the future. To, well, yeah, yes. If, if they are listening to this podcast in the past, then we should get and better episodes in the future. we are controlling the outcome of Star Trek Enterprise, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And it means we've got a couple more listeners. I don't know if they're counted in our metrics. Probably not. Probably not, yeah. I, I don't think that, that the uh, temporal fiber optic cable, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Technobabble. I'll I'll come up with a better technobabble later for you. Okay. Speaking the, the temporal of... uh, data transfer, uh, I don't think they count. Uh, Probably not. They count. Listens through it. Speaking of weird, timey, wimey, spacey, wacy stuff, and also good scenes between Tucker and Reed, I also liked their TARDIS exploration scene. I have that on my pluses as well. Yeah, like, that was actually a really cool and kind of surprising moment when they realized the ship was bigger on the inside than the outside. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that the first time it's been done in Star Trek? I think it might be. I I think there might have been a case, maybe on TNG or something, Something like that, Mutcher, but it felt real fresh to me. Just watching, yeah, watching them explore the ship was really neat because they were clearly getting super into it. We were getting fairly into it because they were revealing genuinely surprising things about the ship. What I had thought and what I kind of hoped was going to happen and then didn't happen was that uh, one of the combating aliens was going to steal the ship with the two of them in it and then we could have a better shuttle pod one. But uh, <laughs> I actually thought that might have been what, where they were going as well. Yeah, alas, that did not happen. You know, I'll, I'll just take that and run with that as my plus. One of the things that made this episode enjoyable was we legitimately didn't know what was going to happen. That is true. And I guess this shouldn't be a plus, um, but it's a plus compared to a lot of the other episodes. There was, This it is not... An episode where the stakes were, oh no, will Captain Archer die? Like, one of those things. No, like, we don't know what this ship is. We don't know if it's going to be destroyed, or if it's going to be salvaged by someone or other. If it's, uh, you know, what it is. Like, there are stakes that, you know, we don't know what will happen to it. So... It's I was going to say, conclusion. we also don't know what the stakes are. Which yeah, is to a an slight extent, problem. But... To an extent, yes. But, you know, maybe Tucker and Reed will get, you know, be stuck on that ship in the, you know, uh, hammer space. That when... would be an exciting departure from everything. Mm-hmm. And if, if anyone listening is wondering what I'm talking about when I say hammer space, it's, uh, it's a term for, like, extra dimensional space that is used by things like cartoon characters um, to store the hammer that they pull out from behind their backs. Um, it has infinite capacity, uh, a lot larger than the space that it, it takes It's where up. Wacko keeps all his snacks on Animaniacs. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of generally like individual scenes were the things that I really liked in this episode. I think mm-hmm. my favorite individual scene in the episode was the one where they found the Vulcan ship and realized that it was kind of dead in the water. Because uh-huh. they had been very much counting on the Vulcan ship was going to save them from this conflict. And then they come to the Vulcan ship and it's just sitting there. Yep. And it was a moment of, number one, whoever is there is actually kind of scarily powerful. And number two, like, 
As much as it has annoyed them sometimes, the Vulcans have always reliably been there to save their butts when they needed it, and this is kind of the first time they've come to the Vulcans for help, and the Vulcans haven't been able to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was actually a genuinely affecting scene. It was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, well done. You surprised us. Yeah. Like, I wasn't... I, I had seen that there were only two guest stars in the opening credits, and they'd both already shown up, so I was like, something's gonna happen where they can't talk to the Vulcans, but I wasn't sure what it was gonna be. Mm. And that wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. Okay. Cool. Um, I liked what they did um, as far as the uh, props for that... Uh, for the TARDIS ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really made me think of, like, really old, rusty plumbing stuff. Ship in general had a really good design. Yeah. Um, having spent a while, like, digging into ancient uh, ancient <laughs> uh, civilizations underneath bathroom tile recently. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Like, it, it, it's got that feeling. And, like, everything's rusty, to... but, they, you know, every... But, you can tell that there was once a purpose to it. I kept waiting for them to find something horrifying and gross, like more so than the blue stuff that they uncovered, but I'm kind of I mean, they found okay. a corpse. That had already happened, though. Hadn't it? I mean, he died, bef- like, probably a very long time but before they found they the found corpse the before they were digging around in the TARDIS portion. That's true, yeah. But just, yeah. like, the whole ship, like, everything was believably, like, Old and rusty. There was a point where they found like a rounded triangular shape covered, co- like covered or something. And I was like, that's totally the space toilet. And it didn't turn out to be, but they could have <laughs> fooled me. Yeah. Based on the shape. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, T'Pol got to eat real food. Oh, did she? Yeah, she was eating like what looked like it might have been Plomik soup at the end. Oh, lovely. A I... nice progression from non-dressed salad. That is a very... So, thank you for listening to me, people in the past. Much appreciated. Ooh. This will be fun. <laughs> um, yes? Uh, flock. So, so another a scene <laughs> that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so, obviously, one of the big things is DePaul doesn't believe in time travel. Um, and Phlox is having this conversation with her, and it felt, to me, a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. Why are the two of them the only one in the dining hall? Um, but... It sounded like it was late, and like he'd forgotten to eat, and she'd kind of forgotten to eat, so... Hmm. And everyone else eats on a schedule because they're all responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had this one great line. Um, she, she was asking if he believed in time travel, and he said, I believe in embracing surprises. Uh-huh. And I really liked that. I did. I liked that, that line. It was very floxy. And it was accompanied by his, like, half-charming, half-incredibly creepy smile mm-hmm. that John Billingsley has perfected. Mm-hmm. I need to move my knee. Oh, moving. Thank you. Bonus content for the listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was being pinned. Okay. We're, we're, we're trying to find comfy ways to record a podcast. Yep. Don't mind us. Um, anything else? That was the end of my list. I got a couple really small things. Okay. Um, I like what I wrote down and described as the Sulaban heist scene, where they... I did like that. You know, they're just, whoops, they're behind us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, 
I don't know. It was just a good action scene. This was a well-directed episode. Good yeah, job, James it really Whitmore was. Jr. It really was. And then there's... So are we done? Are you done pluses? So yeah. The last thing I have is both a plus and a minus, and that is the future database. It always, <laughs> like, on the plus... You spent a while trying to read that thing. Oh, let's not even worry about that. Like, it actually makes sense to... to to consult it um, because it is an established thing from the future for the temporal cold war, which this is pretty clearly a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Hey, good job remembering what you already did on the show. Yeah. Um, and then on the minuses, that feels like hmm? that feels like the, the backhanded insult of low expectations. Yes. There are low expectations. Okay. But hey, we're, we're, Having him be exceeded, which is a nice change of pace. It's true. Um, yeah, the... Uh, where was I going with that? Yeah, on the minus side, because now we're in minuses, it's kind of cheating to always... You know, a little bit. Just, well, you know, we've got this database of all the future ships, and we'll just break it out and, like, not not even, like, search for specifically what we're looking for. We'll just skim through it. Until we are, uh, until we find what we're looking for, mm-hmm. and you know, not worry about seeing other things. I don't know. The whole future database and knowledge thing also does this annoying thing where it just detracts from the stakes of the show overall. Because like we know that they're going to fundamentally succeed at their mission, and that uh, the Federation is going to get founded, and it's going to take off from there. But they don't know that, except now they can find out if they want to. It's true, and they, I guess they haven't really gone into the questions of how much have they looked in these databases. Seems like not a whole lot, because they still got that lock on the dude's door, but yeah, somebody's going to get curious one of these days. But like, if I'm just skimming through for a particular ship, I think it's going to be hard for me not to notice a few things. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Like, wow, that's the future galaxy class? Dang. It looks kind of like my ship, but... Rounder. But fancier. <laughs> Smoother. Mm-hmm. And bigger. Yep. Anyway. Guess we succeed. Anyway, as far as minuses go, that was a complete waste of the Tholians. Yes. If they aren't going to make a web, why are they there? Mm-hmm. Because you need a scary and very alien alien and you want nostalgia points? Okay. Can I go on to... to... My biggest minus of this. Is it related to the Tholians? It is. It's related to all of this. Okay. So the Tholians are brought up here and they don't do very much. They're just mysterious. They don't mm-hmm. even make a web. Like, what's the point? Uh-huh. And the only point I can think of is they're setting them up to do something later. And they are setting up that little time loop, which didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, to bring up later. And if I wanted to have a whole bunch of mysterious things that don't seem to be totally well thought out brought up with the intention of bringing them up later in an unsatisfying conclusion, I would just watch Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> like, Well, they didn't know Star Trek Discovery was going to exist. Well, they do now because they're listening in the past. True. Don't be that way, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't let them do it. I mean, I don't know. Discovery's not that bad. 
it's not Picard. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm just like it felt to me like they were doing a lot of setup here, and there was absolutely no payoff. Mm-hmm. Like I thought maybe in the end we would learn something about this temporal cold war, but no. I was also just very disappointed at how easily the Tholians went down, given how powerful we know them to be from the episode in the future. The Tholians won. They captured the ship. I mean, kinda, I guess, but like, eh, I guess that's true. Yeah, the but Tholians also, were successful. But like, okay, yeah, that's true. I stand corrected. The, the thing given that, that, it the thing that been... defeated the Tholians was that... Uh, Trip got the future beacon going, and uh, the people from the future stole the ship. And given that, it would have been nice. The given that, it would have been nice if somebody had been like those Tholians, dude. Damn, we're gonna have to keep an eye out for them in the future. Well, I mean, be better if they made a web. It would be, wouldn't it? This is a perfect opportunity to make a web. Yeah, they need you them know, to stay still. You, yeah, you. We're not giving you the ship. Okay, then web them. Run the Etch-A-Sketch, yeah. How, yeah. How do you feel about not giving us the ship now? Exactly. If you try to destroy the ship, we won't take you out of the web. Yep. But if you give us the ship, we'll let you out of the web. It's a perfect plan. Why? It's a waste. It is. Yep. That's mm-hmm. my complaint. Waste of the Tholians. Yep. Your turn. Or is it my turn? It's your turn. Oh. I already kind of said this, but the Temporal Cold War is still not that interesting. Fair enough. That's kind of all I have to say about it. The Temporal Cold War is not that interesting. Why was it so dark in sickbay in the opening? I guess it was nighttime? I guess? I don't know. I I found it kind of strange. Just like, you were doing, I believe, an autopsy on a dude. It was a weirdly lit scene. Don't you want lights? Are you doing the autopsy in the dark because it's October and you want the spookies? I was wondering if this was the Halloween episode. We really? Yeah. Uh, like it's I, not I have... the right time of the season to be Halloween. That That is fair, but I have written in my notes at the beginning of that scene, was this the Halloween episode? I'm pretty sure this probably aired like in January or something, but... I mean, that's possible. I don't know when it aired, but it had all the makings in the first 15 minutes or so of the Halloween episode, including Phlox being back in his torture suit. Okay. Okay. But, and by torture sh- suit, you do mean his surgical outfit. It's his torture suit. <sighs> he does look menacing in it. Yes. Okay. Um, do you want to say more? Oh, are we on me again? Yeah. What was that scene between T'Pol and Archer? Where we were like, is there something she's not telling him? Yeah. And then there was no payoff to that scene she ever? She was like, we should destroy that ship. And he's, and he's like, like, no, no it's fine. We're going to go give it to the Vulcans. And she's like, but you shouldn't rely on that. I don't know. It felt like... And then everybody was kind of like, why not? And we were both like, is there something that she's hiding from him? Yeah, like, if we get the ship to the Vulcans, are they just going to destroy it? I like it seems possible if they're that determined to hide any evidence of time travel but this never came up again so i'm not even sure why that scene was in there yeah yeah like oh that's another thing like the plot was actually fairly straightforward Mm -hmm. and i think that for most of it they did a very good job of this is kind of the double-edged sword like they did a great job of having the uh nx01 crew be 
having information deficit compared to everyone mm-hmm. else. Clearly, the Sulaban know what's going on more. Clearly, the Tholians know what's going on more. Mm-hmm. Archer doesn't know what's going on. That's mostly the case. That's typical. Yeah. Um, and that's cool. But you need to to have someone learn more by the end of the episode. Otherwise, the information deficit thing just sounds seems disappointing. Yeah. And if you're setting up like a multi-season long information deficit thing... You don't want to do that. Also, is the theme of this season just to Paul's gradual disillusionment with the Vulcans? It may be. Because it's getting a little old. Well, she had, you know, eventually she's probably going to, like, quit Vulcan and, like, join Starfleet. And... She's going to quit Vulcan, join Starfleet, and make a baby with a human. Probably Tucker, I'm still I'm still guessing. But, uh... Ooh, boy, if she does that, like, we got to bring up this episode. It's true, because they did uh, allude to that possible future in a conversation. Yeah. It'd be very unlikely that we could make a baby. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, we know they can, and the writers are just going for wink-wink, nudge-nudge points, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's very convenient that uh, all the species have the same number of chromosomes. Yeah. Real convenient. You probably can't make a baby with a Tholian. Not safely. No. Um, I really, yeah, I really appreciated your description of uh, that as like Flox's dream of uh, multi-species mating. Speaking of why, actually, I don't think Flox is like. I don't think Flox actually cares about them like physically mating. I think Flox just wants them all to smell each other. Yeah. Speaking of why human Tholian mating would be a terrible idea, another one of my minuses was please turn off that terrible noise. That was a pretty annoying noise. It really was. I mean, I think it was meant and to be. I know but... it was meant to be an annoying noise, but they kept playing it, and it got to the point where it was annoying outside of the episode. Mm-hmm. I think that was supposed to be the Tholian speaking. I think it was. Followed by the translation of it in which case i really don't want to know what like tholian sex noises sound like i had not even considered that and i'm going to go back to not considering that sounds like a good plan you got anything else uh uh uh, how is that a micro caliper i thought you might rag on that yeah isn't that an ordinary sized caliper i believe it is (laughs) I guess now they have macro calipers, too. Which is probably smaller than the micro caliper. That'd be fun. Yeah, you're doing that sort of thing. Okay. Um, I am on exclusively to meta things, so if you've got anything else actually from the episode, you should bring it up. Very minor. Um, Trip, you, you, you haven't figured out how time travel works. I guess that's forgivable because you don't know if it exists. You know, you gotta be pretty sure it exists by now. Yeah, I think we had some pretty definitive evidence in this episode. But like in in the the conversation towards the end, like he he didn't understand how it was that they showed up at just the right moment, and Archer's got to be like, it's because they can pick the exact time that they show up. Yeah, I mean that's fine. I forgive him for that. Okay. He wasn't really thinking about that for most of the episode. Yeah, I just contrast this with the DS Nine episode where, uh, where O'Brien has like a time traveling thing and meets himself and he's just like i hate quantum chronodynamics that episode was also dumb 
Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was. I just like that line. Okay, that's fair. So uh, I have a meta minus, Go which has it. very little to do with uh, Enterprise, which is uh, what you doing over there, Discovery? Okay, yeah, that's not fair at all. It's not. You're, you're time traveling too much. Mm-hmm. But I am going to point out, if in the, what was it, the 31st century, we've got like time mm-hmm. travel ships that run on whatever the heck was going on there. Dilithium? Or- yeah, that, that seem to run on dilithium. How is it possible, oh, Star Trek Discovery, that all the dilithium, or at least most of it, burned out at least 100 years before the 31st century and hasn't come back by the 32nd century? I don't know. Do you watch the franchise that you're writing for? <sighs> if, we, if we let this... Have y'all seen Star Trek? <sighs> if we let this show, show become a... Star Trek Discovery Podcast, we're going to have to change the name, and that sounds like work. It does. Also, there's no dog on Discovery, which automatically makes it inferior. Yes. Though I've been disappointed at the lack of dog recently. I want more Porthos. Yeah, there has been a lack of Porthos the last few episodes. The show, I really have been enjoying watching this, though. I have been, too. Like, it, you know, it goes up and down, and it spends a lot of time in the middle, which is actually its most frustrating place, because when it's bad, it's usually hilariously bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it at least knows how to tell a story and develop characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it tells 26 stories a year. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, the new newer tracks can't even come close to, and they... Would we want they them tell to? like half a story a year <laughs> over the course of like 12 episodes Fine so. story. Yeah. Anyway. We'll stop ragging on them for now. And yeah. congratulations on tripping over that low bar, Enterprise. Uh, mm-hmm. I could do with like a real good, exciting episode soon. Okay. Or not even, doesn't even have to be an exciting episode. Just like some kind of really compelling one that hooks me the entire time. Okay. I know you really liked Stigma. I did really like Stigma. That wasn't too long ago. I think what the problem is, is we're not watching enough episodes of this because we're, we're busy. Because we're busy, it's true. And like, there have been, there have been a lot of very okay episodes this season. And like I said, I want ones that are either really, really good or really, really bad. Okay. Fair enough. Let's, fingers crossed. Yep. Fingers crossed for the next one, which I remember the title of, and I'm going to get it right. Uh-huh. Because it's called Canamar. All right. Which sounds like it's probably a Klingon word or something like that. Because there was a Klingon in the thumbnail. Okay. And also I'm going to remember it because it sounds like Connemara, which is the region of Ireland where you speak Gaelic and make illegal booze in the hills. You see, you were full of trivia. Yes. Okay. Um... <laughs> we have some things to cover. At so the end of this episode. We both won the Mayweather uh, We report. both won the Mayweather report. Travis had, I think, about five extremely functional lines. Yep. About five lines and probably about six other places where it would have been very reasonable for him to have a line, but did not. He spent a lot of time frowning at his console, which is his favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, which we both predicted, so hooray! Yay! Uh, next episode, I'm going to be bold and give him exactly three. I will give him exactly one. Because okay. I feel like being even more bold. Crazy. All right. And Three like, versus one. No other reason for that. Fair. 
This has been your Mayweather forecast. All right, Kirk Award. Kirk Award. Every show we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. I got a nominee for this one. Give it to, to me. To you. Flox. Explain. Because Flox is super excited about the prospect of making out with all the alien girls in the future. <laughs> Even if it's not him, somebody gets to do it, and that makes him super happy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't... He is excited for all the experiences that James T. Kirk is going to have with alien girls in the future. Oh, sounds good to me. Like, I was thinking maybe Trip, but I like your, I like your answer better. Yep. Flox is the one true Kirk for this episode. Congratulations. Indeed. So I uh, think we're good then. I think we are. All right. All righty. Well, as always, thank you for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, review, or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice, including Amazon Podcasts now. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day or send us some suggestions for the show, shoot us an email at atleastthersadog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode Canamar, which I look forward to learning if I am pronouncing correctly. I look forward to it as well. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.